please God, but we worship God in the spirit from the depths of our being. And so we're the tr- of the true circumcision. Uh, we put no confidence in the flesh. We rejoice in the Lord. We must beware of false teachers. Um, and we worship God in the spirit, not in the flesh. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and in his salvation. And we put no confidence in the flesh. Now, there might be some of us here today that are like, you know, I'm glad Jesus showed me the way. And I'm glad Jesus helps me to do what is right so I can earn my salvation. Well, I hate to hurt your feelings, but you're not heaven bound if that's what you're thinking. We are saved by God's grace alone. It's a free gift that we don't deserve. And we receive it through faith alone in Jesus alone. We have to trust in Jesus, not Jesus plus something else. Not Jesus plus our own righteousness. We have to trust in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. And if we are truly saved, the Holy Spirit will work within us and begin to change our lives. You might have a bad day like Peter. You might have a bad year like King David. But if you're a true believer, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to get through the difficult times of life. And you're going to walk with Jesus and bear fruit for his kingdom through God's power and for his glory. Now, Paul says, look, I don't put any confidence in the flesh, but he's saying, you know, if anybody had the right to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, it's me. You know, Paul, Paul said, look, man, I was circumcised on the eighth day, the exact day that Jewish boys were supposed to be circumcised. He was of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the Hebrew culture. He could read Hebrew. Acts chapter 22 says he spent a lot of time living in Jerusalem, even though he was from Tarsus up in modern Turkey. Um, He spent a lot of time in Jerusalem being trained by Gamaliel, the leading Jewish rabbi, a Pharisee of his day. But he was zealous enough to persecute the church. He thought, look, If Jesus is not the Jewish Messiah, and he didn't think he was at that point earlier in his life, then these guys are heretics. And so he persecuted the church. He he had people in prison and even had people executed. He held the cloaks uh, when Stephen, the deacon, was stoned to death for preaching Jesus. And, um, And so there was good stuff, there was bad stuff that he had accomplished. He was outwardly blameless in regards to the law of Moses. So outwardly, you could spy on Paul, and you'd never see him outwardly disobey the technicalities of the Old Testament law. Uh, The problem is, though, God demands more than outward obedience. Matthew 5.20 tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it very clear, unless your righteousness exceeds, surpasses that of the Pharisees and scribes, you have no place in my kingdom. So uh, God demands obedience from the heart, and you cannot do that in your own strength. You need to be regenerated, born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit initiates and empowers you to do those works that are pleasing to God and that come from the heart, okay? So we need a changed heart. Paul didn't have that before he was saved, but outwardly he was blameless in regards to the law. So Paul had a lot to brag about. Okay, he also, once he got saved, he started calling himself what? The chief of sinners, the least in the kingdom of God. 
I was thinking on my way driving over here how I let people down as a non-believer. And people who trusted in me and I let them down and stuff like that. And, um, and I didn't pray that God caused me to forget that. I thank God for forgiving me. And I told God, I, I said, God, you know, please help me that when Satan throws those thoughts in my head, you're no good because you let this guy down. You're no good because you let that guy down. Um, don't let me listen to that because now you made all things new. So don't ever let your past failures, your past sins, prevent you from being all that God's called you to be today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life. At the same time, uh, Paul never forgot that he killed these nice, godly Christians before he got saved. And so you got to, every once in a while, you got to remind yourself who you were before Jesus saved you. Okay? So you don't start thinking, oh, I'm this holy person. Look how righteous I am in my own strength. Look, we, we didn't deserve heaven before we got saved. We don't even deserve heaven right now after we've been saved. Amen. Okay? It's all a grace. Amen. And believe me, don't, don't get me wrong, it took a lot of work to get us saved. But that was the work of Christ. The only work we did, we were just cranking up the furnace. Okay? We were just earning the flames of hell. But so Paul says, you know, I, I got a lot to brag about. I was a, a leading Jewish rabbi, a young guy with so much potential, but I also persecuted the church, which people applauded me for doing that back then. But after I got saved, I realized what a low life I was, how bad I was to do such things. And, um, and so I, I want us to think about that. Some of us here, before you came to Jesus, some of us here were incredibly successful. Okay? Some of us here, if you're like me, you weren't very successful. Just about everything you ever endeavored to do blew up in your face one way or another. Okay? Um, but whether you had great successes before you came to Christ or great failures before you came to Christ, Paul counts that all as rubbish when he compares it with what it means to be in Christ. Okay? So some of you may have come to church today thinking, man, boy, all those things I accomplished before I got saved, I was a pretty famous guy, and this and that. And uh, no, that's rubbish. Probably most of us came to church, most of you probably came to church like me, thinking about, boy, what a failure I was before I came to Jesus. Well, that's, that, that you is dead, okay? Now, let me say this. By Paul, he's going to be telling us to press on. And that means even your failures and your successes after you get saved, don't allow that to hold you back from serving Jesus. You've got to press on, okay? When a fighter gets knocked down in the ring, okay, I've got a lot of experience getting knocked down in the ring, okay? Uh, you've got to get up. And you can't, if you start thinking, this guy hits too hard, he's going to knock me down again, you're guaranteeing you're going down again, okay? You got you to get up and say, man, he thinks he hits hard. Wait till, 
wait till I slip one of his punches and he, he catches one of my left hooks. You got to think that way. Um, I can remember, you know, we used to spar with 16-ounce gloves, but back in the 70s in the lower weight classes, you, when you boxed, it was only 8-ounce gloves. And they had at least an ounce and a half around the wrist, which I could never understand. So it's like boxing with six and a half ounce gloves. And I realized immediately when you put on the gloves for a regular match, you're either going to think, man, I'm, I'm really going to hurt that guy. Or you're going to think, wow, he's really going to hurt me. We got to go through our Christian walk like that. We got to say, look, um, yeah, I've fallen. Even after I got saved, I, you know, we all sin. None of us are perfect. But the Lord picks us up, dusts us off. I got to get back in the battle. And I got to think about the victories that are ahead that the Lord Jesus wants to win through the power of the Holy Spirit through me. You can't, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, you can, professional sports like NFL football, they only play 17 games a year before the postseason. It's very hard. I mean, there's just about two or three teams that lose almost all their games. But other than those teams that have issues, it's very hard to beat a decent team two weeks in a row. Um, I always like when the teams who play the Raiders win the week before. So they might get, like, overconfident and all. But, look, let me tell you, whether it's good things or bad things, whether you had good days or bad days even before you got saved or after you got saved, okay, you got to look forward. You got to march forward. You know, you talk about some people say the glass is half full. Some say it's half empty. If you're from Essex County, New Jersey, like me, and you grew up with the Italians, it's half empty. It's got a leak, okay? And um, But I got to remind myself, hey, that's, you know, I mean, when you know you're going to win, because our Savior wins, our King comes back, he wins, no matter how bad it gets, you still have the joy of the Lord and you still press on. Corey Ten Boom probably had more joy in a concentration camp, in a labor camp during World War II. She probably had more joy than most of the people in this room right now, myself included. You know, I stub my toes like the end of the world. She prays. Can you praise God for being imprisoned in a in a barracks filled with lice? Cause she did. Cause the guards would. They knew it was lice infested. They wouldn't go in there. So she was free to lead Bible studies. And so she thanked God for the lice. When's the last time you thank God for the lice? I'm speaking metaphorically. When's the last time you thank God for even the rough things in life? Because God works it for good. Okay? But we've got to press on. Whether great accomplishments or great failures, we've got to press on. In one sermon I preached, and John alludes to it time and time again, that even yesterday's victories, last year's, we always start the new year saying last year's victories are this year's mediocrities. Okay? And um, sometimes some of I'm getting at that age where I like to talk about, you know, debates I had and, you know, what, 30 years ago? 
you know, I, sometimes I feel like uh, God's uh, up in heaven and say, yeah, yeah, hey, what have you done for me lately there? You know? So don't just hover on what's in the past. You've got to press on, okay? Uh, New England Patriot, or Tom Brady. I mean, I'm not a, I don't think there's a Brady fan in this building. Um, but what if he said, yeah, I got my one Super Bowl ring my first year. And then just for decades, just talked about that one ring. He'd only have one ring. But he wasn't satisfied. And he let the past his past, and he pressed on. And, um, and now the guy's got, I think he's got seven. Been to ten and won seven. At least three of them should have rightfully gone to the Raiders. I know I, know I, could, get a, I could get a couple amens, a few thumb downs. A lot of you are in deep prayer right now for your, for your pastor, wondering what's a Raider fan doing behind a pulpit. But, but whatever the case, we got to, oh, man, it's, it hurts to almost say this, but we got to have a little bit of Tom Brady in us, you know. <laughs> we got to say six is not enough, you know. Most of us would say, just one major victory, I'm done. Okay, and I could just slime for the last 50 years of life go to heaven and talk to Moses about the one thing I did. Um, no, we can never be satisfied. And uh, so Paul's past accomplishments. Now, he gave up everything for Jesus. Look at verse 7, Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes the great victories you have in the past, let's say you're um, a great business, have a great business mind, and you made millions of dollars, and then you come to Christ, you don't necessarily have to give that up, okay? But let's say your name is Mike Franzisi, and you're one of the underbosses for the Bonanno family out of, out of Philadelphia, and then uh, you come to Christ. Okay, then what? Then you got you to... Gotta, Turn yourself in. You got to do your time, and all that wealth that you made—that's gone now, you know. And now he goes around the country preaching the gospel and speaking at college campuses to athletes, telling them to not get involved in gambling because the mafia, organized crime, will come alongside and cause you to throw a game and destroy your life and things of that sort. Uh, so sometimes the you got all these victories over here, and you realize if I come to Jesus, i got to give that all up. Some of us have to give up a lot more than others. I mean, we all have to give up everything. But when you're as unsuccessful as I was the first 21 years of my life, it's not a whole lot you got to give up. I mean, I didn't win a whole lot of stuff, okay? But some of us, it's, it's hard. It's like, you mean to say if I come to Christ right now, you know, my career's over. Uh, my fame is shot. Right now we got people, uh, you know, with this cancel culture. By the way, cancel culture has been going on for decades. It's just getting more and more obvious. But, um, but you know, you get a guy like Tim Tebow, it's like, you mean if I don't shut up about Jesus, the NFL won't care that I have a winning record as a quarterback in the NFL and they're just going to bench me and eventually not sign me up? Yeah. And he's like, okay, because Tim Tebow is willing to count all his successes 
as trash when compared to what he has in Christ. Tim Tebow is a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ who just happens to be good at football. The NFL can tolerate football players who happen to be Christian, but they can't tolerate Christian preachers who happen to play football on the side. Okay? And, um, and so you might get canceled now, but you've got you to gotta be willing to give up everything for Jesus. You know, we like to say, well, I'm better than that rich young ruler. He wasn't willing to give up his wealth for Jesus. Yeah, well, don't be too hard on him if you've never had his wealth. Amen. Okay? And so each and every one of us has got, we've got our own issues and stuff like that. But uh, there's, some things, there's some things we come to Jesus and we're saying there's still some things we don't want to give up. But Paul gave up everything for Jesus. Uh, verse 8, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. So he considers his past pre-Christian accomplishments as trash. Okay? He was, he was saying, yeah, I accomplished all that stuff in my own strength. I got a big name. I was real popular. And guess what? Uh, that's trash when compared to what I you know, what I deserved and all those accomplishments and the applause of man, all those things that I worked hard for and deserved, that was trash next to what I have in Christ, which, by the way, I don't deserve. Which, by the way, is a free gift. That's the most humiliating thing I ever heard in my entire life, uh, was to be told that everything you accomplished, everything you worked hard for, all you've ever earned was the flames of hell. And if you're going to be saved, you need to come to Jesus for salvation. And it was then that I joined the true circumcision. It was then that I came to Christ, and the Holy Spirit uh, regenerated me, gave me the new birth. But Paul gave up everything for Jesus. He even considered his past pre-Christ accomplishments as trash. Paul is now in Christ, verses 10 and 11, that I, that I may know him. See, you know, you could say, well, look at all the money Bill Gates has. Gee, I wish I could be like Bill Gates and be a, a billionaire times and times over. I wish I had all his goodies and this and that, and all I am is a, a poor person who can't make my, my mortgage payment. And, and this and that. Hey, look, look, if you're a Christian... Please interpret Bill Gates through the lenses of the Bible. Okay? Feel sorry for him. Those billions might be the stumbling block keeping him from coming to Christ. Um, so he said, you know, knowing if you know Jesus, you have more than all the worth, all the wealth this world can offer. Okay? In Mark's gospel, it says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? If you have Jesus, you have the pearl of great price. If you have Jesus, it doesn't get any better than that. We Christians are so, we're being so programmed to interpret reality through the lenses of the world. Don't do that. Paul, Paul say, just... Just to know Christ, 
is far greater than all the accomplishments I ever had, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. A lot of theological language in there. We'll try to break it down a little. But Paul's saying, look, I consider my past accomplishments trash now that I'm in Christ. Just knowing Christ is more valuable to me than anything I could accomplish in the eyes of the world. Uh, He recognized that his righteousness was through faith in Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It's it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. He made him, God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. He took our sin on the cross and died, took our punishment for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So our sin was credited to Jesus' account when he died on the cross. His righteousness is credited to our account when we trust in Jesus for salvation. It's called the doctrine of imputation, the opposite of amputation, where something's taken off. Imputation, something's credited to your account from someone else's account. But look at that passage we read last week, Romans 3, 20 to 23. There's only two ways to achieve righteousness for human beings, righteousness before the eyes of God. Only two ways. And um, Romans 3, 20 to 23. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law makes us conscious of our sin, The law shows us God's holy standards, shows us our inability to keep them, shows our need for a Savior. So the law is a tutor, a substitute teacher to lead us to Christ. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Here's a different way for righteousness. The problem is Adam and Eve, the perfect humans, with no sin nature, they failed to achieve righteousness by the deeds of the law, the deeds of the flesh. And so there's only one human being, only one human that actually earned God's favor through the deeds of the law, and that's the Lord Jesus, God the Son, become a man. And um, we cannot... You know, God demands perfect righteousness to get into heaven. And that's what Jesus did. And that righteousness will be credited to our account if we trust in Jesus, who died for our sins on the cross. So we all fail when we try uh, to earn uh, salvation and achieve righteousness through works of the law. That's why Paul says it's all rubbish. Yeah, I was a celebrity, but it was all rubbish, says Paul. And so now he has the righteousness through faith in Jesus. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the Old Testament talked about Jesus. 
Even the righteousness of God through what? Through works? No, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? So Paul's saying, look, I'm now in Christ. So all my accomplishments from the past don't amount to a hill of beans compared to me knowing Christ. Uh, Paul is now in Christ. He has the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus, not the outward righteousness through the law. Okay? Remember, the outward righteousness through the law, if you want to see the most outwardly righteous people in the history of mankind, look no further than the Pharisees and the scribes. And we say, well, wait a minute, Jesus called them hypocrites. Yeah, but how does he define a hypocrite? They looked on the outside, they're white and clean, like whitewashed tombs, but inside, they're filled with dead men's bones. So he was acknowledging that outwardly, the Pharisees were white and clean. So they were hypocrites, because outwardly they were one thing, but inwardly they were sinners. Okay? And, uh, but God demands righteousness from the heart. Only Jesus can get that through the power, get that to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, look, I'm with a true circumcision. I'm not going to pride myself in the outward righteousness through the law. That blew up in my face. Okay? Don't forget, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him, came off the throne to appear to Paul about a year after his ascension. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, well, who are you, Lord? So he's like, I know I'm talking to the Lord. I know I'm talking to Yahweh. But who exactly are you? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. And um, Paul's like, okay, I need a big, a big time permanent theological reset. Okay? This changes everything. And right there, Paul is probably going through all the scrolls of the Old Testament, which he interpreted in a legalistic way, looking for outward righteousness. And now he realizes if Jesus is Messiah, Savior, and Yahweh, and Lord, then I misinterpreted the Old Testament. I've got to start reinterpreting it, looking for Jesus, rather than looking for rules and regulations. And, um, and so Paul said, look, I, I don't trust in the outward righteousness through the law. I trust in the righteousness that comes only through faith in Christ. And then Paul said that he wants to personally know that I may know him. He wants to personally know Jesus more fully. I hope all of us want to personally know Jesus more fully. You know, with the Ephesian church, they were so good later on in the book of Revelation, for refuting false teachers. And Jesus, said, Jesus says to them there, you know, man, you, you guys are, you, you refute the false apostles and this and that and blah, 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 but you lost your first love. How many of us can think back to the first day we got saved? How much we love Jesus. I can remember standing lousy duty in the Marine Corps at Bangor, walking the perimeter 
in the main limited area where the nukes are stored. It was a sunny day, and I got to wear my camis. I got to wear a flat vest. I got to carry an M16 machine gun with all the rounds and the old, big, bulky walkie-talkies. And I got to wear my boots, and I got to wear my helmet, and I'm sweating just because it's so hot. And I can remember walking the perimeter, looking up at the clouds and the blue sky, and knowing that Jesus was going to come back someday and singing praise songs under my breath. Okay? I want that first love. You should wake up in the morning chasing that first love. I mean, it's like we want to be one with Christ, in union with Christ. And it's the same thing applies to marriage. The Bible even uses marriage as a metaphor for the relationship of Christ and the church. But each and every morning, guys, you should turn over, look at, look at your bride. And say, I want to love her with that same love as when she was walking down the aisle. Okay? I want to return to that first love. But it's the same with Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, let's, let's be honest. Some of us that... Our love for Jesus has gotten pretty dry. And we can study the scriptures and stuff, but we're kind of getting a little pharisaical and just think, well, if I just keep learning more, well, learning more truth is good, but you've got to apply it, and you can't apply it if your love for Jesus has grown cold. Paul, look, if Paul could say he wants to personally know Jesus more fully, and who are we to say, oh, yeah, I, I'm, me and Jesus, we got this personal relationship, and we're just great, and it doesn't need to improve. I don't need to, to know him more fully. Now, we're not going to fully know Jesus in the fullest sense until we see him face to face when he comes back. First John talks about that. But the fact of the matter is he still wanted to know Jesus more fully. He wanted to be like King David even before Jesus came to earth. King David could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, guess what? The sheep walk with the shepherd. Are you walking with Jesus? Um, Jesus? Look at John 17, 3. This is the whole meaning of life. Pastor Pat preached on this a few weeks or a month or so before his surgery uh, on the basic theme John 17, verse 3, where Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they, his followers, may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so the whole meaning of life, you get philosophers still looking for the meaning of life. You got this transhumanism movement, because people are still not satisfied, even wealthy people. They're just not satisfied. There's got to be something more. So you know what they want to do? They want to transcend humanity. And so if we can just make animal-human hybrids, or if we can make human-computer hybrids, and we can just improve humanity, maybe someday we can get to the point where our scientific technology will allow us to live forever on the planet Earth. That's the way these guys are thinking. Reason being, they haven't found the true meaning of life. And so they want to play God themselves. The true meaning of life is to know Christ, to personally know Christ, and to make him known. 
Everything else is window dressing. Okay? And here's Paul. Man, if there's somebody that personally knew Christ, it was Paul, and he wanted to know Jesus more fully. He also wanted to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. And look, we're all going to know the power of Jesus' resurrection when Jesus comes back. Because at that point, he's going to resurrect our bodies. Our mortal bodies are going to put on immortality. Our shameful bodies are going to fully glorify God, are going to be fully glorified. The total presence of sin and death will be removed, will be, will be totally... Um, obedient and submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit, God will finish the work that he starts in us. But Paul longs to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, even in this life. And guess what? We can get a glimpse of that in this life. Look, look at Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. You might say, well, I don't think I'm going to get a glimpse of the power of of Jesus' resurrection in this life, because I'm not the Apostle Paul, young man. I'm not gonna, not gonna mention whose phone it was. I don't want to get, I don't want to get Pastor John embarrassed in front of everybody. But he's, he's doing better than me. At least he knows how to turn his on. I can't, I don't. Uh, Okay, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, uh, Paul says this, that he wants to grow in the knowledge of God, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. So God's power, if you believe, God's power is at work in you. And the only thing that can stop God's power from working through you, now this is in accordance with God's will. Okay, you might, you might want to move a mountain. Well, that might not be God's will. He might just want you to move a little pile of dirt, okay? But God's power is at work in you if you believe, and the only thing that could stop it from doing what God wants to accomplish through you is you, is me. So God's power is at work with us, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. See, if you point to Bill Gates and you say, man, that's power, you missed it. You don't even know what power is. But you, talk, you look at an elderly, sickly man or woman on their knees, assuming they can get on their knees, praying to God, that's power. But the same power that it took God the Father to raise Jesus from the dead, that same power is at work in you, and that same power is at work in me. Okay? Now, I don't know where you stand on the Shroud of Turin and this and that. My old professor wrote two books on it. I think the evidence is in favor of the Shroud of Turin actually being the burial cloth of Christ. We cannot reproduce that image right now, by the way. We do not have the advanced enough medical technology to reproduce a three-dimensional image with all the information that is contained in it. And this is in a photographic negative of the shroud, not the shroud itself. The shroud contains the information, but to get it, you need to look at a photographic negative of it. And, um, but whatever the case, the more I study it, I mean, I, I have conversations with 
Guys like Robert Rucker, a retired nuclear engineer, who has a theory. Uh, Chuck, you know about him as well, Robert Rucker, and his theories about what caused the image when Jesus was raised and his body was transfigured. Um, this catastrophic bombardment um, of light or whatever it was that, that somehow changed the chemical composition on the cloth. And, um, and so he'd like to see it retested with his theory factored in. Now, the chances of the Vatican allowing it to be retested is real low, but when you talk to that guy and he talks about the power that was involved, I mean, you're talking about something that makes nuclear weapons, nuclear energy, look like kid stuff. But the same power it took for God to raise Jesus from the dead, that power resides in you. And it resides in me. Now, if you think, wow, I've got all that power to do my will. Nope, nope, (laughs) you missed it. You've got all that power to do God's will. Okay? Now, if God's will is to, you know, part the Red Sea, then God's power is going to get that done if you don't get in the way. But more times than not, God's power is going to have you share your faith with your neighbor, stay up a half hour a little later to catch up on your devotional study of God's word, teach your kids or your grandkids about Jesus, okay? Um, But uh, Paul wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Our full knowledge of it will be when we see Jesus face to face and we'll be like him we'll see him as he is and we get our transfigured resurrection bodies but in the meantime he wants glimpses of that he want but then he says he wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings when i study the Bible, that's when i stop okay because i'm looking at this this is what paul wants man he uh he wants to know the power of jesus resurrection he wants to know the righteousness which comes to God, from God by faith, okay? Uh, he wants all this cool stuff, all this cool stuff. He wants to be conformed to his death, but the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. How many of us say, Jesus, I want to know you so closely. I want to fellowship with you in your sufferings. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think Paul's saying that we should go out of the way to get ourselves martyred and beaten, okay? But we should long to at least get a glimpse of Jesus' sufferings and death. You know, David got it a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. David said in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Something Jesus quoted from the cross, which would have caused all Jews to think, I got to read Psalm 22. And in there he said, they pierced my hands and my feet, They cast lots for my garments, my enemies surrounding me. None of that was done to David. But he got so close to God that God the Father said, you're close, so close to me, I'm going to give you a glimpse. I'm going to allow you to fellowship in my son's sufferings and death. See what he's going to see. So we get a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. We get eyewitness testimony of Jesus' crucifixion from the perspective of the crucified one, the Lord Jesus himself, okay? And um, 
And, and Paul wants that uh, for himself. He wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. He wants to know the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. He wants to be conformed to Christ's death, thus does attain the resurrection. After we die and when Jesus comes back, we're going to be fully conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. Okay? Well, we've got to understand what's true of Paul was also true. Uh, I mean, what's true of Jesus was also true of Paul. It's true of Israel. It's true of most things in life, most things of great value. Suffering comes before the glory. So how many of us have the faith in the Lord, the confidence in Christ, so that if we suffer, we would thank God for that suffering? Because we know that um, everyone who desires to live godly lives, 1 Timothy 3.12, will be persecuted. Now we Americans, the only persecution we've received, people make fun of us and call us names. Okay? And, um, but it's getting worse. Some Christians are now losing their jobs. They're getting banned from social media. They're getting canceled. Okay? Um, you, right now, we got people who maybe did some dumb things, but they're locked up in prison and being treated really bad just because their political views don't line up with those in power. And uh, what we saw happen to our Christian brothers and sisters in the North with Trudeau, um, that kind of thing. I mean, our president applauded Trudeau for all the tyrannical decisions he was making. And, um, and so uh, we may have to fellowship with Jesus' sufferings. All believers do, but we may have to fellowship with Jesus' sufferings to a much greater extent than we ever thought. Uh, but look, if you want the resurrection, you got to go through the cross. You can't get the resurrection to life, okay? You can't get the glory of the resurrection without the shame of the cross, which means you got you got to deny yourself, pick up the cross, whatever mission God's given you, and follow Jesus in the path of obedience. Okay, and um, you know, I—I'll be honest with you. I grew up in New Jersey. I was the kind of guy who thought it was really stupid to eat a meal when we could just push the meal aside and go right to dessert. Okay, so what, some of us want the dessert before the meal. We want the glory without the suffering. Look, God's called us to suffer. And it's different for each of us, okay? Sometimes just getting out of bed in the morning and doing what God's called you to do is going to entail a certain amount of suffering. Age 62, it's, it's harder to get out of bed in the morning than it was at age 22, okay? And, uh, but you get out there and you do what God's called you to do. And, uh, you know, it's just like, what did one guy say that... Uh, you know, I was all upset because I didn't have shoes, and then I thought about guys who don't have feet. You know, so just, just, just get over it. Look, we, we, if you want what you earn, it's called hell. You want what you deserve, it's called hell, eternal torment. And God's given us heaven 
by his grace. It's a free gift. So let's learn to put up with these sufferings. But by the way, uh, when we suffer, when someone's suffering and hurting, God, God will share his comfort with others. But he usually shares his comfort with others by causing other believers to come alongside. So I'm not saying minimize the sufferings of others. Do the Christ-like thing. Come to their side and comfort them with the comfort God has given you when you suffered. But what I'm saying is when you're suffering, it could be worse. Okay? We have a king, and we look forward to the resurrection. So Paul says he presses towards the goal, verses 12 to 16. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Okay? So let's face it. If Paul didn't get perfected in this life, it's not going to happen until the hereafter when the Lord Jesus returns. By the, by the way, we're not gonna, to be perfected means to be fully mature. God's finished the work that he starts in you. Complete. Okay? So technically, if you're a believer and you died right now and your spirit went to be with the Lord... You would, not, you would still not be perfected yet. Your spirit, which would have no presence of sin at that point, would be in God's presence, but God's not, still not done with you. Because the Christian God, the Bible teaches, God's not done with us until he finishes not just the spiritual work in us, but the physical work in our bodies as well. So are we adopted sons and daughters of Jesus? Yes spiritually. But the Bible also teaches in Romans 8, we still await our physical adoption as sons, the adoption of our bodies when Jesus returns. That's when he'll, be, he'll complete the work that he starts uh, in us. But Paul recognized, man, you know, I, have, I've, I've, I haven't already attained or am already perfected but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So Paul has not yet been perfected. And so what does he do? He says, well, that means I need to press on and forget what, what is behind, whether it's yesterday's failures or yesterday's successes. There is not a person here who could stand up and say without lying, I am everything that God has called me to be right now. And if somebody did that, everybody else would say, sit down, you liar. You know, uh, but God's called us. God has called us to a road and we're still on this journey. Okay. And um, and so Paul says, now, I'm not already perfected. So what do I do, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold uh, of me. So he presses on and he forgets what is behind. And it's so easy. Sometimes it's hard to, you know, there's preachers now saying things in 2022 that I was saying in, in 1988 when they called me a kook. And so sometimes it's really hard. You want to, you remind people, no, I said that back then and this and that. Where were you when, when, when people were writing letters to the editor of the old Bremerton Sun and calling me all kinds of names and, and this and that, and, 
And where, where were you pastors then? And, and now all of a sudden it's, it's popular because the ideas have been implemented and, and things are getting bad. But it's like, no, you've got to just press on. You can't live in the past, you know. And um, you just got to press on and be all that God called you to be. Uh, verses 13 and 14, you've got to reach forward to things which are ahead. Verses 14 and 15. I press, this is Paul talking, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice he's not saying, you know, it's, it's my goal to just be mediocre. What's the minimum I have to do, and I'll just shoot for that? No, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, in fact, I skipped the verse before. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He is, he's not apprehended. He is not already attained to perfection. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? And, and so... He's saying, look, man, I'm just going to press on and forget what's behind. I'm going to reach forward to the things that are ahead. Paul presses on toward the goal. He calls it the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? Paul is investing in eternity in his life, and we should be as well. Rather than saying, look, I'm saved. I can just slime now. I'm going to heaven Paul says, no, you press on. Paul knows God didn't call us to a picnic. He called us to a war, a spiritual war against the forces of evil for the souls of human beings. And we got to press on. We can't drop our guard. Okay? In the boxing ring, you drop your guard, you get hit. Okay? And uh, my grandson could teach you about that there. And uh, um, we've got to press on. The battle is not done. Until Jesus takes his stand upon the earth, the battle isn't over. So he presses on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He wants to be all that God has called him to be. Let's face it, some of, some of us would, would probably settle for a lot less. And this is difficult, though, too. How can I be all that God called me to be if I say no to some people? Well, I found out the hard way, if you keep saying yes all the time and you don't get enough sleep and you get too much work or too much stress, you could have a complete brain shutdown. You could, I didn't have it, but you could get a, have a stroke or a heart attack. You got to know where to draw the line, okay? You got to, I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes we're the most godliest when we're asleep. Because if you go to bed and you get sleep, but you're living for the Lord, and you realize, I can be more productive serving the Lord if I'm well rested than if I don't get enough sleep, then you're being obedient to the Lord when you're sleeping, Okay? Now, I was trying, I was always figure if there's something that somebody needs me to do for God's kingdom, and, uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I, I, 
I don't, you know, I don't have enough discernment to know, yeah, God's calling me to do this, God's not calling me to do that, so I figure I'll just do everything that I get asked to do for God's kingdom. And then when I get to, to heaven, there'll be this huge mound of all the things I did, and when the judgment comes, 90% of it will be burnt away. That was the stuff God didn't really call me to do, but there'll be something there. I'm afraid I might miss what God's called me to do if I don't try to do everything. So it's difficult. We've got, you've got to want to be all that God called you to be and nothing less. At the same time, you've got to be so filled with the Spirit that you also know when to say no. Satan would love to get everybody in this room right now all busy doing really good things. If he can't get you to do bad things, he's going to try to get you to do really good things that aren't exactly what God wants you to do. And so you can go off on some big tangent doing lots of good stuff while the people God wants you to reach and disciple are still hellbound. You know, hopefully God will call somebody else to fill that gap. But Paul wants to be all that God calls him to be. He does not settle for a life uh, of mediocrity. Verses 15 and 16, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. If you're mature, that's the way it should be. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Uh, nevertheless, the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. And so Paul tells us, look, he wants us all to walk this way. He wants, it's not just for the apostles like Paul. He wants all of us to want, to desire, it should be our greatest desire, to be all that God called us to be, to not settle for spiritual mediocrity. So he says, let us walk by the same rule and be of the same mind. You know, this brings up the idea, some of the commentators say, of marching. You know, somebody could just walk down the street, and that's just, guy just walking. But when you're marching, you're all walking in the same way, by the same rules, in the same direction, you're all of the same mind. Okay? And you've got your platoon uh, commander who's giving you the commands and telling you when to do a right face or a left face and whatever it may be. But we Christians, this is military, he's using pretty much military type talk right now. We've got to, to walk or march the same, by the same rules and to be of the same mind, okay? And that rule he's talking about is this ought to be the guiding principle in our lives. We should want to be all that God has called us to be. You might say, well, Pastor, I want to do that, but if I'm going to be all that God calls me to be, uh, I'm not going to make as much money. Um, if I'm going to be all that God calls me to be, um, we might have to move into a smaller house. If I'm going to be all that God calls me to be, uh, my friends are going to make fun of me. I could lose my job. I could get in trouble. Um, no, you just got to, you got a desire to be all that God called you to be, despite the circumstances. Paul could have been a very wealthy Pharisee, 
could have been known as the greatest rabbi of Israel, one of Gamaliel's disciples. Instead, um, Paul probably wasn't much older than me when they beheaded him after numerous scourging, numerous beatings, numerous shipwrecks. But his goal was to be all that God called him to be. We're going to talk about it next week. Where you, you got to know where your true citizenship is. Okay? And if you think my American citizenship is everything, you're missing it all. We are citizens of heaven. Okay? We are citizens of heaven. And um, once we acknowledge that we are citizens of heaven, then all these earthly desires that we have will fade away. And we could strive to be, through the power of God and for his glory, all that God has called us to be. And we can press on toward that goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord, and uh, we know we don't love you enough. I pray that you would return to us the first love that we have for Jesus on the day we got saved, and that love would grow. And I pray, Lord, that in all things, in our marriages, in our careers, in our whatever it may be, Lord, in the way we treat others or the ministry that you called us to, that we would strive to be all that you called us to be. We would not settle for mediocrity, but I pray that your spirit would guide us so that we would know not only what you've called us to do, but even what good things you haven't called us to do. And so help us, help pastors like myself to know how to delegate some of that authority uh, to godly men and women in the church. And... um, But help us, Lord. You called each and every one of us on a a mission. Help each and every one of us to be all that you called us to be and to press on and to never settle for less than all of what you called us to be. Do this through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of your resurrection, and um, for the glory of you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you, everybody.